um, a phone or a Bible, something you'll be looking at the Scriptures with us this morning. We'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 12. If you haven't been with us before, um, sometimes we, I'll see kind of funny looks um, from folks as we, we sing two songs, and then um, as I head up, people are thinking, oh no, it's going to be a long sermon. Sometimes it is. But we, we, we do that intentionally, believing that we want to worship and sing in response to the way that the Lord most clearly and most often He, he speaks through His Word. And so then we want to worship in response to what He reveals to us through His Word. And so um, if you were enjoying singing, worshiping, and, and want more of that, there will be more of that here in just a bit. Um, so we, we typically, we are preaching through um, books of Scripture just chapter by chapter. And so we've been in First and Second Samuel now for several months, um, working our way through this story um, of, of the nation of Israel gaining a king, the first one being Saul, I'm seeing the the kingdom torn from him because of his disobedience. David anointed as king and having this kind of long and arduous road to the top, um, even while Saul was still king. And then in the last few weeks, what we've seen is really kind of the, the pinnacle that David is on the throne, that Jerusalem has been made the political capital, the spiritual capital, right? The Ark of the Covenant is there. So there's peace from their enemies that things are as good as they've been, right? Coming out of the, the era of the judges where everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes and sin was rampant and blatant, we now have like God's anointed on the throne leading His people, um, one who has trusted and, and loved God. And then last week, um, as J.R. preached, we see David's... Um, sin and, and, and its horrificness, right? As, as David has an affair with Bathsheba, it leads in Uriah's death and in the death of other men who were innocent and unaware of what was going on. And we see in verse 27 of chapter 11, we see this, um, that David sent and brought her to his house. This is after Uriah's death. She became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And I thought one of the things that, that uh, J.R. said that really resonated as I listened to the sermon was he said, like, our sin is often playing Russian roulette with other people's lives, right? Like, that there are consequences and effect of our own sin, not just in our own lives. Like, we can't encapsulate it, right, and say, hey, it's my sin, so it's my consequence. It affects those around us, those that we know and love and care for, it also can affect strangers, right, and those that we cannot even begin to imagine how the consequences will reach them. And so we, chapter 11 kind of ends with this word of, hey, this is David's, like, David is God's anointed. Like, he has been just promoted and loved, even though he has not been perfect, You're right? And then we end chapter 11 last week with just this kind of heavy, right, like it didn't please the Lord, and there's just kind of this comma hanging. And the story continues, but I think it's important for us not to move too quickly away from the, the weight and the heaviness and the gravity of sin. Right? Because our, sometimes our tendency is to be like, oh yeah, that was ugly, that was bad. Um, but Jesus, right? Which is true. But it's, it's important for us that we don't lose nuance. Right? That David can be both God's anointed he can be one whose trajectory was mostly pointing 
um, in obedience and trust and dependence upon the Lord, and he can really screw up. Right? Like both of those things can be true in David's life. Right? That we, we can have decades of faithfulness to God and then train wreck the whole thing, right? At the end, right? Changing how we're remembered and how we're thought of and, and, and whatever legacy we, we thought we might have. Um, that we don't want to move too quickly through this. That, that David is both God's anointed and here God is not pleased with his actions and his sin. So we're going to pick up in chapter 12 and, and continue this story. Beginning in verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and he grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, You're the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you out of the hands of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the son. For you did secretly, and I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the son. Right? Like what, what a weighty, heavy, um, uncomfortable scene that we, is, is chapter 12 continues. Right? And just a quick note here. Um, in many cultures at this, this day and age, um, you know, as we're some 3,000 years removed, the king would have just kind of been considered divine, right? The, but in Israel, right, the role of the prophet was to continue to remind the king like that he's the Lord's servant, right? That, that God is the king. He's the ruler, the protector of Israel, and the king is a servant of God. It's just like here, Jesus is the pastor of this church. And, and we have elders who continue to under-shepherd, but Jesus is the pastor, right? And if we ever lose sight of that, that we are serving Him and His name and His kingdom, right, we're in trouble. Because it's not about our name or our kingdom. And so here, Nathan, right, is able to speak, right, reminding the king, you're not divine. Thus says the Lord, the one that you serve, who has placed you in this role, now keep in mind, at this point, as far as we know, David's sin is still private, right? There are a handful of people who may know, David knows, but the, the, um, Bathsheba is close to giving birth, so there, months have gone by now. 
that David has hardened his heart. He hasn't confessed this. He hasn't made it known or public. But in 1 Samuel 16, when David was anointed, right? remember as his brothers passed before and passed before, and they're assuming it's these other more impressive physical specimens. Right? What, is, what do we learn from Samuel? It says the Lord looks at the inside, right? not at the outside. And we saw that as a positive that was saying, hey, God's looking at David's heart. And even though man looks at the outward appearance, God is looking at the heart. And so David's my man. We're seeing the flip side of that here. That where David has been able to cover his sin. Uriah's dead. Bathsheba's his wife. A child is about to be born. God says, but I know. Right? Your sin that you believe is private, that you believe that people don't know, I'm aware of it. I know it. Listen to Psalm 139, verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? Would we just be reminded this morning that, that God sees and He knows, right? That even if we've kept things hidden from everyone else, even if we've somehow been able to deceive ourselves into believing that we can kind of forget it, that it's not hidden from the Lord, that He sees and knows our, our sin, our struggle, our issues, our fears, our doubts, our needs. And so Nathan just begins to tell David this parable. Right? Because so, you can imagine if, if, if he comes to the king and is real direct and is just like, hey, you sinned. Right? Like if you are confronted in that regard, our tendency would be to be immediately dismissive or defensive, right? To, to, to make an excuse to say, I think you've misunderstood, you didn't hear that right, what are you talking about? And yet, Nathan just comes and begins to tell this story, this parable. And you can see David is emotionally invested in it. That he's just like, are you kidding me? Like He's like, I want the name. Who was this dude? He deserves to die. And in that moment in verse 7 where Nathan then says to David, you're the man. You're the guy. You've done this thing. You've taken from someone when you had everything. You've taken their little. Like you have, con- you've condemned yourself here. Church, we are very often blinded by our own sin, right? Where, where we can see the sin in others, and we can have righteous indignation that is correct about their sin that we can be blind to the own, our own sin, right? That's why Jesus talks about right, like taking the, the, the plank out of our own eye when we see the speck in our brother's eye. That David has now hardened his heart, but he still in the moment goes, I know what's right, and I know what's just, and that man was wrong, and yet he's holding on to the same sin in his own life that he hasn't confessed and that he hasn't dealt with. And so God is aware, and His Word exposes Church, would we know that that is for us this morning too? That we have hidden nothing from God. And that His Word is able, it's alive, and it's able to root and to move and to expose our struggle and our sin and our issue. And that He does it for our good. Right? In this moment, you're not going, hey, this doesn't feel good for David. This feels awkward. I can almost put myself in his shoes. Even if my sin is not maybe quite as egregious on the surface, Right, but this, this feels awkward and uncomfortable 
But the Word of God exposes and it reveals what's going on. And God is doing it for our good. Would we notice that He uses Nathan as well? Right, that it wasn't just the word that exposed David, but it was a trusted advisor who was used to give the word. So would we be reminded this morning of this, that we need people in our lives who are walking and trusting the Lord enough to share a hard word with us. But they're walking closely enough with you that you care what they, that they would say it, that they would share that word. Listen, no one wants to hear their sin called out. No one wants to have... Their, their issues exposed. But are there people in your life that will say the, the true thing, the real thing, and not just cover up for you? That they're close enough and care enough to do this? We see then consequences. Look at verse 5. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, right? This, this, this man in a story. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. Listen, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, as the law is laid out, murder, right? Which is what David did to Uriah. He had him murdered. Is like the penalty is death. Adultery, the penalty is death. And so he's saying, listen, this sin that's been done by this man in the story, which is ultimately him, is deserving of death, that there are going to be consequences. And, and listen, God then says, through Nathan, He says, thus says the Lord, and He gives him five I statements. Look in verse 7 and 8. Nathan said to David, You're the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you. He's like, I made you king. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. Like, I made you king, and I put you, like, I, I protected you from the king who wanted to kill you. I gave you your house, I gave you your wives, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, like I've given you the nation. And then he says, and if that wasn't enough, I would have given you more. Like, David, what did you need that I wasn't providing for you? I have cared for you, I have done this, right? I have been yours. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? He's reminding David, like, your eyes haven't been on me. Like, in, in the midst of all that I've said and all that I've done, the fact that you can tangibly look around and see my faithfulness to you, you have despised me. And you have despised the Word. Listen, we don't think of sin in those terms, right? That when we don't trust God, we're despising what He's done. But listen, for those of us in Christ, He has given us more than even David has here because He has made us right with God, that we are adopted sons and daughters of the King. And so he says, like, when you don't trust me, when you do what is right in your own eyes, you are despising me and despising the Word. And so there's going to be judgment. And listen, as, as God just begins to lay out what He's going to do, he, he reminds him of what He did with Uriah, and then He's taken Bathsheba. And so if you go to verse 10, now therefore... Their sword won't depart from your house. Because you've despised me and you've taken the wife of Uriah. So he says, listen, the sword is going to come. There's going to be violence in your own home. Thus says the Lord in verse 11, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. Right? There's going to be people opposed to David now from his own lineage. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. 
Verse 12, you, you sinned in secret. I'm going to do this before of all of Israel. Like His consequences are going to become public. Right? Like ultimately, this is like our worst case scenario, right? That we have sin, and then, then, then everyone would know. But God is saying, I'm going to do this. Right? People are going to know what you've done, that you thought you could control, that you thought you could keep it private. It will be done before all of Israel. So we need to be reminded that, that Saul received a rebuke as well. And in 1 Samuel chapter 13, right, he, is, he doesn't wait for Samuel to come to make the proper sacrifice before going into battle. And when Samuel arrives, Saul's response was, hey, the, the people were restless, you weren't here. Right? Like he just starts making excuses and blaming, which right, began to show us he's not trusting the Lord. He's not owning his part in this. He's not owning his sin. And he doesn't take the rebuke. He fears man. He, he, he shifts the blame. He makes excuses. So we need to, we're going to continue now in chapter 12 and see how David responds to his rebuke. Remember, he's the king. Verse 13. David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And then Nathan went to his house. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him, to raise him from the ground, and he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How can then we then say to him, The child is dead? He may do something, he may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is. And David arose from the earth, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord, and he worshipped. And he went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing you've done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and I wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. And then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her. And she bore a son and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. We have that ending, which just reminds us that in the midst of the narrative, that there's this also historical, we're introducing Solomon, the one who's going to build the temple. Jedidiah means like beloved of the Lord. But we have this just uncomfortable scene. Right? As we're reading this and, and we're hearing even the sounds of kids in the room, um, as I'm looking, right, like this, this is just a hard scene. And yet, we see in verse 13 that David's response is repentance without excuse. 
when confronted and rebuked by the prophet, he doesn't say, but Bathsheba, but God. He says, I've sinned against the Lord. Just immediate, like he owns it. He owns his sin. It's repentance. It's, it's, it's an awareness. And we see grace then poured out. Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. And then immediately, but the child will. Right? Just painful, uncomfortable, um, emotional. Um, We need to make a quick aside here. Okay? Um, Passages like this that are are telling what occurred can often be taken and co-opted to teach things that aren't true. And so there is a thought that's prevalent across the world in almost every culture that, right, like that if a child is born with issue or if a child suffers when young, it's mom and dad's fault. Mom and dad have done something. Um, And so in John chapter 9, we have this scene. It says in verse 1, as he passed by, meaning Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Right? Like, here's the question. Like, hey, so somebody did something wrong. That's why they're being punished. And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So we have to deal with the narrative here and what it's, what it's teaching us and wrestle with it, but we don't extrapolate out teachings that aren't true. Okay? And so every time a child dies, every time a child is afflicted, it is not the fault, right, of mom and dad or someone in the family that this has happened. It is explicit here that David is being told by God through the prophet, this is happening because of your sin, right? In this case, in this situation. Not in all cases, in all situations like this. We're, we're reminded that there are, there are consequences of sin even when forgiveness is offered. Right? I think sometimes we think, hey, if God has forgiven us, then there's no consequences. And so if I'm facing consequences, then I haven't been forgiven. David is being forgiven here. He has been forgiven. He's receiving grace. And there are going to be consequences. Listen, this is egregious. The sin here was horrific, and now the consequences of it make us kind of nauseous. It's uncomfortable, it's offensive. We're honest, what we're maybe the thought in your head right now is the wrong one died. Right? The one with guilt didn't die, the innocent one did. Like that David gets grace here is a little hard to swallow. Like, why, why do you get to keep being king? Why do you continue to get to live? Why is God telling you, like, I'm displeased, but you won't die? Right? Like, why, why that? And if we're honest, maybe in this moment, we are more offended by this scene in Scripture than we are at the cross. When the innocent one did die. Listen, I don't, I don't say that flippantly. Right? Like, this is a painful, uncomfortable scene. 
And yet our sin is that displeasing. It is that egregious. It is that foul. Like that grace is offensive. That any of us have received grace from God is an offensive thing. And it's easy for us to look at and go, hey, I'm mostly okay, so it's not offensive. But man, look at your sin. Are you kidding me? That's offensive that God would send someone with your sin or your past. And in this scene here, we're going, I'm not really comfortable with what is happening here. Death would come. But David's not the one that pays for it. It's Jesus. The cross does come, and death does come, and that sin is paid for. David's sin is paid for. It's just paid for by Jesus. And it's hard for us to think of our own sin in these sort of egregious terms. right? But we can look at David, right? and we're immediately, David going, deserves to die, kill him. Get him, God. And Nathan is saying to us this morning, you're the man. You're the woman. You're sin too. And it's uncomfortable that we would be offended by sin because it is against a holy God. It's a reminder that the better king is coming, that David wasn't the ultimate king, that Jesus is the one who was going to pay for it and make us right. And, and, and there's a phrase that doesn't get thrown around a ton anymore, but you, you'll hear it some that says, man, that's his ugliest sin. Right? And it's kind of, it's usually in a joking fashion now, like they might be saying that person is ugliest sin, right? Or that situation is ugliest sin. But we, we see why it comes from, because in this passage, right, this sin is ugly. Like sin is ugly, and we sometimes just kind of take it lightly, like, oh God, forgive me. And we just quickly move past. There is a severe mercy here. David receives grace and mercy, and it's severe because that sin has to be dealt with and it has to be paid. And the one who deserved it doesn't get it. Church, this morning, for those of you in Christ, you don't get what you deserve if you are in Christ. Jesus has paid the offensive price and cost on behalf of your ugly, morbid, egregious, offensive sin. And we notice then that as David repents in verse 13, look at verse 16. So even though though God has told him what's going to happen, what's he do? David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, right? Like he's trusting the character of God and going, God, please don't. Like here's... I'm seeking you, even in the midst of his pain. And then in verse 20, after the child dies, David arose from the earth, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes. Listen, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Like he's received mercy and grace, and he's also seen the pain and the significance of his sin, both. And he is saying, God, you're good. And he's worshiping even in the midst of pain and difficulty. And then in 22 and 23, where, where he's talking to his servants, they're like, hey, you've got to explain to us why you've done what you've done. He says, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he's dead, and why shall I fast? Can I bring him again? No, I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. We just see him trusting God. 
Ultimately, he's just trusting God in the midst of his own struggle and pain and suffering. So listen, chapter 11 is ugly. Chapter 12 is pretty ugly too. But here's the, here's the encouragement to all of us this morning. Grace and mercy are available for those who repent. Right? Like your sin can be covered and paid for for those who repent. Today, like don't harden your heart and assume I'll ask for that down the road. David doesn't say, ah, kind of, kind of screwed up. He repents and owns it. This morning, would the Word be exposing us in our own thoughts and our own sin, whether they are public or private, whether they're external or internal, whether they are secular or spiritual, that we wouldn't harden our heart, that if the Word is ministering, that it would be calling us to repentance, that we would not assume that we get another day to repent, that we can just put it off, and that we would respond to our good Father who is offering grace and mercy because the payment of this sin has been met by Jesus. Listen, if you can see your sin is ugly, that's a grace. Like, if you can see your sin is ugly, that's a grace that God has given you. Because sin deceives, and it blinds, and it makes unrecognizable. The fact that David could see it, and see what it was, and not go, hey, let's go back to the story. I want to talk about that dude. Like, let's go get him. And he just goes, yeah, man. Like it, it has made David act in a way in chapters 11 and 12 that don't seem to follow with his character. And that's why we have to understand there's nuance. Right? The people that are mostly acting good can still do egregious things. And that those whose lives look offensive can still receive grace and mercy and be transformed. Right? Like the, the gospel is good news, but it's hard news. That God disciplines those He loves. Like, would we not be flippant this morning? You have a God who loves you, and in His kindness He is calling you to repentance, and He is holy, and He hates sin, and He's going to judge it. Both of those things are equally true this morning. And we can respond to Him as Father, where we will receive grace and mercy. Listen to Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way. Let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that He may have compassion on Him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. Church, if, you, like, if you're sitting here this morning, you have done nothing right, that God cannot forgive. Right? The, it, the, the sin that's not forgiven is unbelief. Whatever you've done, there is more grace. And you have a Father who has made a way for you to be right with Him once again. I would encourage you this week or this afternoon, um, a lot of us are familiar with Psalm 51, right? That was written by David in, in light of his affair and response. But one that maybe you're less familiar with is Psalm 32, which is covering the same would you spend some time in Psalm 32 and in Psalm 51, kind of in light of this story, and asking the Lord to reveal if there's any way in you 
that is needing repentance, grace, and mercy this week. And that we would give credit and glory and praise and honor to Jesus who has secured a path back to the Father, who has lived the life we did not live, died the death that we did deserve and would have rightly died if it was except for Him. And then He has defeated our enemies and has taken us by the hand back to the Father for all time. So we can both sit in the weight of this and we can rejoice in the goodness and the love and the graciousness of God because both are equally true. Let's pray. Father, would we not be quick to run from heavy, from hard, from difficult? We need you to move and to work, to minister. So Father, I just ask that in these moments that we would not assume that we don't have sin, but that we would ask you to, to search us, to reveal to us ways that are displeasing to you, that are not honoring to you, that we would confess those things and say with David, I've sinned against the Lord. God, and that in that we would receive mercy and grace and love and kindness. God, but we wouldn't be flippant about it, but we would realize that it's Jesus who has secured it for us. So we would give Him the glory and the honor and the praise. Father, for those of us who right now are blind to our sin, it's, we are unrecognizable. God, would You break hard hearts? Would You give eyes to see? Father, for those right now who would fear confession, God, give them the courage to say what you already know, that we could receive what you offer us through Christ. Lord, we want to be a repentant people. For your glory, for your name, for your sake. God, transform us in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, church, if you